0: In June 2020, Advancing Vibrant Communities celebrated its 18th anniversary of serving others and helping people love your neighbor as yourself. To help us rehearse the genesis of AVC and for some personal stories from my own 25 years or so in vocational ministry, here's well-known psychologist, therapist, pastor, and pastor to pastors, Dr. Michael Wright. I've known Pastor Mike Douglas
1: for nearly 25 years. You've known his voice here, interviewing other people who make news and talk about their nonprofits and ministries that make a big difference in our communities. As he was interviewing me on the radio not long ago, I asked him, have you ever interviewed you about you, about your journey with advancing vibrant communities and what you've learned in almost 25 years of vocational ministry? He said, no, I haven't thought about that. But wouldn't it be kind of weird for me to interview me? Pastor Mike suggested since I came up with the idea, maybe I should interview him. Michael interviewing the other Michael, as we call each other. And that's how we arrived at this evening conversation with you and Pastor Michael Douglas. Well, now that we've turned tables on you and I have the the privilege of interviewing you, I'm going to ask you some questions about AVC. Yes. How did you come up with that name?
0: You know, that was an interesting thing, and and people have often said, where where did you get that interesting name? Well, uh, a friend of mine and I were talking. We were kicking around what we ought to call a ministry that was aimed at lifting up communities through volunteer service from the faith-based community. And what that would look like, how would we describe it, and my friend said, you know, in addition to finding some word, you ought to pick a word. The first word should begin with A. I said, why? He <laughs> says, so he says, So when all the other nonprofits and all the other ministries are listed, yours is near the top. I said, Oh, okay. So anyway, <laughs> we came what are we doing? We're we're advancing uh communities that are vibrant. or or trying to make them vibrant, and that's how advancing vibrant communities came to be uh, good, bad, or indifferent on the name. And for short, we call it AVC, which is tough on the air because people think we're saying ABC as in the television or radio network.
1: Right. Uh, yeah. But,
0: but people will see our logo, ABC advancing vibrant communities. So that's the, uh, that's the genesis of the name. Well, won't you
1: share the circumstances of the birth of ABC and how it came about and uh, 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 what, what brought this ministry into being, okay?
0: Yeah, I think actually uh, in, in God's hands, uh, Advancing Vibrant Communities has been being formed for a long time. I just didn't know it. Uh, but the, the short answer to your question is, at the time I was serving at a, at a mega megachurch uh, in, in Modesto, and and doing well within the four walls i was the pastor of eclectic ministries you know it's whatever you give the newer guy uh you give him everything so we were doing <laughs> <laughs> we were doing uh marriage we were doing uh uh premarital a extra extra marital, marital that doesn't sound right does it uh <laughs> reconciling, reconciling marriages, and I was doing uh, almost all the, well, probably 80% of the premarital, I was doing a lot of weddings, and uh, radio, I was helping out with the radio ministries as well for the senior pastor, Uh, and also doing civic impact things uh, where we would be in the community at the community table, being involved in issues that the community cared about, uh, so I was really doing well within within the four wells, uh, walls of my office there, but there, I, I kept having this nagging voice saying, you know, the people you're really trying to reach aren't going to come across your threshold in that office. The people you're trying to reach and where your heart is, those people are outside the four walls. Think about getting out there and connecting with them. And so uh it, it was probably uh, nine months to a year of, of that brewing inside of me. And, and finally, uh, God made it very clear that in order to do that, I needed to step out of the comfort zone where I was, where I had a guaranteed paycheck and I knew what it was, et cetera, uh, to having no money, uh, starting a ministry from scratch with, with the, 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 the pure, mission of connecting the church with the community that it needs to serve uh, through loving your neighbor as, as yourself. And so I stepped out uh, in, I guess it was at the end of uh, 2001, and six months later, uh, some businessmen and I in town founded Advancing Vibrant Communities and that was 18 years ago. And it, it's been a a wacky, but uh, rewarding and amazing journey over those 18 years. So what were those early challenges that you faced? Probably a lot of the challenges we still face now. Uh, you know, finances. Uh, it, it, it's always been... Uh, month to month for us. And I think that's just the way God designed it, so that we remain very uh, dependent upon him and to draw very close to him. So for 18 years, it's su- surprising funding has come from places that, that we didn't expect. And so I, I guess if you go back to my Scott Irish roots, it's uh, 180 degrees opposite of you know know where the income is coming from so that you have security and you can build a nest egg well what we did is we took the nest egg and blew it apart so that we could fund the ministry and uh there is no security other than knowing that god will provide if we're exactly where he wants us to be so i i guess finances have have always been an issue the other one from the very beginning and and we still have that is recruiting volunteers, uh, uh, you know, motivating people to answer that command that Jesus gave us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Now, that said, we have a small cadre of incredibly dedicated volunteers. Uh, They have big hearts, and they sacrifice their time once, twice, sometimes three times a week to serve the needs of others uh, as a matter of lifestyle, and they're amazing. I mean, these uh, the all-volunteer furniture friends pick up large pieces of furniture and appliances that donors can't deliver themselves. And, and these furniture friends deliver those items with pickup trucks and small trailers to the people in need. And And then we have the, the all-volunteer construction team is normally out two to three times a week. Installing safety hardware for the elderly, the disabled, and veterans to prevent fatal fall injuries. They're installing safety equipment like ramps and and rails, safety rails. And then we have the volunteer medical team of of doctors and nurses, uh, physician assistants, even optometrists. And a, a veterinarian often comes along, all to help the underserved with their health checks. Uh, health consulting consulting and referrals. And then there are the individual volunteers who watch our website all the time. They watch it carefully for items they can offer, items they can find, and and sometimes they'll even purchase items out of their own pockets to help people that are in, in radical need. And then there are others that help with things like yard maintenance on a periodic basis. The However, the however part of this is, despite these amazingly faithful volunteers, the community needs and the manpower and woman power needs exceed the number of volunteers currently sacrificing their time and talents to help others. It really is surprisingly difficult to find people who are willing to commit to serving others as a lifestyle. Uh, because people are in need not just once a year you know so often people will volunteer for an event and then they're done well People who are in need are usually in need on a regular basis, not just once a year. So I, I think it has always been challenging to get a, a sufficient amount of volunteers willing to connect and build relationships with, with people on a consistent basis. I don't mean they have to commit to being there every week, but, uh, it, you know, the sustainability is so important. People who are hurting, uh, people in impoverished areas, know your motivations. They know why you're coming. And if you're coming to check doing something good off your list, they know that, and there's practically zero impact. On the other hand, uh, if you're coming with the motivations, I think, that God has implanted in us to come to people with compassion and meet the needs they think they have, rather than meeting the needs we think they have, powerful stuff happens through that. And so there's uh, it, it. It's not easy to find volunteers that will commit to that long time. They'll commit to an event, uh, but to a long term commitment to serving the community, it's it's surprisingly difficult. So
1: you mentioned you know your Scott Irish background. What what is your journey background to bring you to this place? I mean, you know, talk about uh, your your experiences as you grew into this place. Okay.
0: Oh boy. Well, it's, it's an eclectic back- background. It really is. Uh, I uh, had wanted to be a, a journalist, you know, a, a, with integrity, a, a, a God-fearing journalist and you know, to make a difference in the world. So I graduated with uh, two degrees, uh, one in telecommunications, uh, television and broadcast engineering and the other in uh, broadcast journalism four-year degree for specifically television and radio news reporting and, and documentary producing what I found and you know I was just about 20 I guess coming out 1920 I can't remember anyway I went out I started to, to apply to places now I was born and raised in in Pasadena so I was in the LA area and basically, almost to a, uh, a station that I applied to, the answer was you don't fit the profile we're looking for. Uh, you, you're male and you're Caucasian and you're a Christian, and that's not what we're looking for. I mean, I was flat out told that. And so I, I had a little bit of discouragement over that. So I fell back into something that I had been interested in all my life. I had started out at age. 14, I guess it was, um, as we built the very first Pasadena Police Department Explorer post way back when in the 70s. And I was a member of that. So having a run up against this kind of discouraging response uh, in the L.A. area to trying to get a job in journalism, I fell back to law enforcement. So I served in law enforcement for uh, about 10 years. I served in three different cities in a variety of capacities, uh, from dispatcher to uh, street cop to full-time to reserve to hazardous materials investigation, emergency services. It was quite a, a, a training time. After that, God moved me into uh, the state of California, uh, the Governor's Office of Emergency Services, uh, where uh, Mark Gillarducci, who's now the director of uh, of State Office of Emergency Services. He and I were, were blessed uh, to be in on the beginnings of the urban search and rescue response system, both for California, and uh, we sat on the FEMA Advisory Committee as well. And these are the multidisciplinary task forces that are sent to major disasters where people are trapped, whether it's an explosion or an earthquake or uh, a hurricane or a tsunami. Very exciting uh, chapter in my life. And uh, then promoted up to, uh, from Assistant Chief Fire and Rescue to Deputy Chief. Uh, I was uh, negotiating uh, state and federal uh, contracts for mutual aid and had oversight of the mutual aid system in California for the Fire and Rescue Service and FireScope, which uh, some of the fire people will recognize. And uh, that, that was very, very exciting. And wh- what happened in, in the midst of that, very quickly, as quickly as I can make it, is that I, I began to feel that the, the, I, I needed to move on. Uh, one, I had a, uh, a two-year-old, and we could be sent anywhere in the world, anywhere in the country, at any time for a major disaster. And so I was beginning to be gone a lot, and I'm thinking, I need to be there to be dead. <clears throat> so I went to a... Um, a university uh, up in the Sacramento area, and they needed guinea pigs for master's students uh, who were having degrees in career counseling. So I went up there and I, I applied. I said, can I be your guinea pig? They said, yes. And so the first step was, the professor says, here, take this survey. We'll put it in the computer and it'll tell us what, what, what you'd be good at doing. I said, okay. So <clears throat> I took it, put it in, and he looks at it and there's this dead silence. I said, so what's the matter? He says, I've never seen this before. I said, well, what what do you mean? What is it? He says, according to the computer, you're not fit to do anything. I said, well, no, wait a minute. I've I've done law enforcement, (laughs) fire fire and rescue service. Uh, I've been on radio radio and television. I've done voice acting for cartoons. I've you know, I've done, I've been an illusionist. I've been a ventriloquist. I've done all this stuff in my life. French horn, trumpet, musician. What do you mean I'm not fit to do anything? He says, well, here, change some answers and and try it again, <laughs> <laughs> right? So <laughs> I changed some answers to keep it within reality, and he puts it in the computer, and it comes out, <laughs> and he looks at it. He says, well, wow. He says, I, I really haven't seen this before either. I said, now what? Says, well, the computer says you're only fit for one thing. I said, What's that? He says, Clergy. I said, You got to be kidding. I said, I'm, I am 39, 40 years old. You just don't decide at 39, 40 years old that you're going to be clergy. And, and Michael, I kid you not. In the space of about two or three weeks, I received a call from a pastor in Modesto who had known my wife's family for a long time. And he said, look, we're, we're looking at building a, a, um, a marriage ministry. I need someone who knows how to build things. You've built programs, right? I said, yeah. He says, could you come down, visit with me, and show me how you would construct a marriage ministry? So I, I headed down, and that morning, Folsom Dam broke up in Sacramento, and I was supposed to take that call, and my, my associate, Mark, said, you know, I know you got something big today. I'll take your call for you. You go do what you need to do. I know it's on your mind. So anyway, I came down to Modesto, met with the pastor, and I spent about 20 minutes on a napkin saying, Here, here's how I would outline, you know, building a marriage ministry, and at the end of it, he looked me in the eye, and he said, well, what else do you say? I said, well, you're going to need to dedicate a pastor to this. If you just throw it to uh, an associate and and don't really give it, uh, you know, funding and and some focus, it'll never happen. He looked me in the eye and he says, would you like to be that pastor? I said, "Do do you know what kind of pay cut I'd take? He said, yeah. I said, I'd have to give up most of my retirement. I'm not even vested yet. He said, yep. I said, well, okay, I'll pray about it. So Lori Lori and I spent Uh six, Uh six months, literally six months on our knees. And God said, I want you to give all that up. And Michael giving up my staff car with red lights and sirens that I was able to park in my garage every night was a sacrifice. I mean, that's a little boy's dream, you know? Yep. And so uh, we, we gave all that up. We came to Modesto, and uh, I was uh, uh, signed on with that mega church, went back to school, and, and got my master's, and, and uh, went through a doctoral program for pastoral ministry. So, that, uh, that, that, so the, the amazing thing, Michael— is that everything, and I think I can say this, this rightly, everything that I've done experientially in my life, all those different careers, have played into that moment of time in 2002 when God said, go and create a ministry for the specific pur- purpose of connecting my people, getting them outside the four walls of their churches and homes, and into the community to serve. All that plays now the radio, the television. I was trained by the FBI as a public information officer have done that as well the the mu The music uh, the presentations uh, I work with law enforcement. I work with the fire service. Uh, I do you know funerals I mean sometimes as many as a hundred a year, believe it or not, but every all my training and, and experience over all those years of my life now now play into advancing vibrant communities i could not orchestrate that i i didn't particularly want that it's just how god does things and we just kind of look at that and stand amazed and say you know i've i've had a unusual life but uh it's 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 been very rewarding
1: you mentioned your family just kind of talk something about your family if you would please
0: yeah, um my wife Lori is a a nurse practitioner and uh thank literally we thank God for that because essentially I get a stipend for what I do in ministry from ABC and 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 pastoring at two different congregations and such. So it's kind of a tent making operation and she's the tent maker. God knew when he put us together in 1990 that he knew what he was doing because she is such an inspiration to me. When I'm ready to give up, she, you know, not literally, but figuratively slaps me upside the head and says, uh, remember God's calling here. So uh, Lori is as much as part of this ministry as anything else because she helps fund my, uh, my, my part of it, really. And so she's been a nurse practitioner for uh, over 35 years. Uh, she does a lot of work at uh, refineries in the Bay Area, and uh, she also works for a neurologist. And this neurologist is amazing; he's almost a one of a kind. And she does his practice administration, as well as uh, as well as interviewing patients. Now with COVID 19, she does it over the phone. Our daughter, Heather, lives and works on the East Coast and is a communications director. Very, very good at what she does. And our son, Joshua, is in Tennessee. My wife and I encouraged Joshua to get a business degree, which he did. Uh, And knowing the complexities of pastoring, I never encouraged either of our our children uh, to go into vocational ministry. So about a year and a half to two years ago, we get a phone call, and he said, I feel God is calling me into vocational ministry. <laughs> and I'll tell you that that young man, at his age, he's in his early 20s. Is so surprisingly spiritually deep, far deeper than I was at at his age, and I know God's going to do great things uh, for him. So, uh, that's that's the immediate family. I have a sister uh, who's about 12 years younger. She's a a teacher down in Southern California, and um, both of our our parents, uh, Lori's parents and my parents, are are all in heaven now. But uh, we. Uh, we were very grateful for all of their support and and uh, for their spiritual training of us as well. So that that's the the family picture. Well, Michael, I, you know, I, I'm aware of
1: the impact that AVC has had in our area. Uh, I'd like for you to share some stories um, about that impact, uh, and you know how. What, what you've seen take place as God has drawn you into his activity in those areas.
0: Yeah. I, what, what's interesting, Michael is, is, and I didn't anticipate this. I didn't see it at first, but over the years I see it profoundly. The ministry is not just about the people who have needs. A tremendous part of the ministry has to do with the volunteer and their growth and uh, uh, so both are radically important uh, elements in, in, in this whole thing. Let me just give you uh, two quick stories that I, I think just illustrate some powerful dynamics. A couple of years ago, uh, and, and we're big on partnering, collaborating, Michael. One day uh, our, uh, our office staff and I sat down and we thought, yeah, let's list how many other organizations ministries, nonprofits, congregations we work with, and let's see um, how many there are. I thought it was probably 15, 20. We counted up 95, and that is our heartbeat, is to collaborate. We realize no one uh, organization can do it all, and if you look at the way that Christ set up his body, Uh, Each one has a a specific role. And so we understand what our role is. We understand our niche. Uh, We don't feed people because there are other places in town that do a great job with that, and we refer them out. We typically don't do clothing because there are great organizations in town who do do a fantastic job of supplying clothing. So we don't do that. Uh, So we we learned what our, our niches were. And uh, basically uh, right now we, and and this is where the stories uh, flow from, we have uh, furniture friends that will pick up major appliances and major pieces of furniture. And because a lot of the donors don't have pickup trucks and such, they will deliver those items to the people in need. We have a construction team and uh, I'll get into that in just a moment. Volunteers, the average age of those guys is 75 years old, Michael. Uh, true, truly amazing. And we could use some young blood, younger blood there uh, a little bit. And uh, we have a medical team headed up by Dr. Robert Chen, who's also the chairman of our board. And uh, our medical team uh, reaches out to people who are underserved or uh, for some reason can't get t- normally to uh, to medical services. Uh, they will go on a quarterly basis and, and provide uh, a lot of interesting screening. We've, we've discovered a lot of folks with diabetes who had no idea. And so there, there's a profound, and, he, and we even have a veterinarian uh, that that helps us work with some of the homeless who have animals and uh, and they help with that. So with that broad brush, uh, let me go back to one story a couple of years ago. We were collaborating with Youth With a Mission, Chris Whitler, who's, who's now on our board of directors as well. And uh, I got a call from Chris, and this is how this collaboration works. I got a call from Chris, and he says, hey, we, we've got this guy uh, named John, and uh, he, he's kind of uh, a hermit a little bit. He's a hoarder. And what happened is, and the temperature was in the triple digits, Michael. It was in the dead of summer, hot. And he had, he's in his little metal mobile home trailer. He has boxes all piled up. Uh, and to the point where he can't get out to the door, he's so weak. He can't move the boxes to get out of his mobile home. And so not having seen him for a while, Chris and his guys go over there and they bang in the door and they kind of hear this slight whimper. They, they force the door open and here he is blocked by all these boxes. So anyway, they, they got him out. They, they hydrated him. They make sure that, that he was Okay. And Chris gives me a call and he says, you know, this guy has no air conditioner in this trailer. He can't live here. He's going to die in here. I said, well, man, Chris, I don't have any air conditioner, you know, like a window air conditioner right now. Let Let me call you back. The other phone rings. It's the County Area Agency on Aging. And they say, Mike, we just got six window air conditioners in. Could your, you know, and and we know pretty much where most of them are going. Would your volunteer construction crew be willing to install them? I'm going. Let's make a deal here. Can I have can I have one of them? They said, Oh yeah, absolutely. I said, Can I have it today? They said, Come pick it up. <laughs> and, and so we sent our construction crew over there. They picked up the window air conditioner, and by that evening they had it installed in 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 John's trailer. So you had uh, Youth with the Mission, Advancing Vibrant Communities, uh, the county, uh, and, and whoever donated the air conditioners all collaborating together really to, to, uh, to save this, this man's life. Um, and other stories, we, we, we just finished installing a, uh, a ramp for a 91-year-old widow that lives in a mobile home park and uh she had an injury a fall injury and and so she had to be with her uh family for a while because of that fall injury uh but she's uh, they they asked us if if she would qualify for a ramp and we, we said well certainly she does on a fixed income And so uh, it's a beautiful, I'm going to hold it up to the microphone so everyone can see. It's a beautiful (laughs) metal ramp. And this thing is bomb-proof, let me tell you. that There's nothing that will take this ramp down. And uh, her words just the other day to our foreman was, I have been stuck inside my home for so long. Now I will be able to reconnect with the world. And that's the kind of... Stuff that happens every day, and, and I believe that, and, and good, bad, or indifferent, and inter- I'm a horrible marketer, Michael, but good, bad, and different, I believe, uh, I take my cue from some instructions in Matthew 6, where we're told not to pound our chest, not to trumpet what we do, not, not to make a big thing of it, uh, but to do it quietly, and so we serve uh, in the name of Christ very quietly, and uh, I, I believe that's that's what God wants us to do. And uh, moms and dads that are single don't have cribs for their babies. Our volunteers will supply those cribs or uh, kitchen items uh, or ramps or uh, it, it just it's a litany of, of different uh, things that are needed that our volunteers will come up with. So uh, that that's kind of a quick uh, a quick sketch of what we do and and uh, the rewarding experience that it is. I do know that you do have some major events every once in a while. Uh, We do. Uh, Typically now, and we have done graffiti wipeouts in the past where we take, um, I would take junior hires, believe it or not, uh, out into the gang areas, into the back alleyways, and I would tell them the history of the gangs in our areas, what the signs mean. Uh, what 13 means in terms of the sorriños and 14 in terms of the norteños and and the bloods and the crips and and how to recognize their signs and uh, and then we would go out in the alleyways and uh, we would have them paint all that out which is great because the people who live there if they paint it out they can face retribution so we did that for uh, probably 17 of the 18 years Things are, really tense right now and as an ex-cop i'm concerned about safety so we've we've backed off on that at least for now for safety reasons uh so that's uh that's an example as well and and uh and then we uh we have these quarterly uh meetings with uh the uh the health team in the past uh, especially in 2009 2010 2011 we did uh some cleanups in what we call the airport neighborhood and I went in and asked, because this is so important when you serve others. I asked leaders in the community, what do you feel you need if we could get a city of, you know, congregations and volunteers here on a, on a Saturday or two? What would you want us to do? And they said, well, we got trash in the alley, alleyways. It looks dumpy. Could you do a cleanup? So we did uh, two massive cleanups in, in uh, 2009. 10, and, and 1, and 11. And by that time, another uh, pastor in town that I had known for a while began to have a vision for doing uh, other major events with, with another nonprofit ministry that he was building. And I said, hey, you know what? You you do marketing, and you do big events really well. Let's pass this baton on to you. I'm going to refer people to you, and and we'll focus on the 365 Day a year, daily grind, and so he's done very well with that. Uh, big events and such. Uh, our what what I've learned over the years is let's focus on what we do really well, and let's do it 365 days a year. Okay, so there's been that kind of growth, that
1: transition from event oriented uh, activity to more of a uh, ongoing commitment.
0: Yes, yes, and and that's where my heart is, Michael. Um, and I'm not discounting events; those are important. They have a function. Uh, but the downside of events are people tend to do one and they feel that they're done for the rest of the year. Uh, so our heart is to motivate people and give them good experiences for serving on a regular basis, where it's whether it's once a quarter, once a month, once a week, you know, whatever it might be but but to establish relationships with the people that they are serving, and that's the key. We want them to establish some kind of relationship so that the person in need feels the compassion, the love, the grace, uh, the, the mercy of, of God and His Son, Jesus Christ, in a very real and tangible way. You don't really have to say anything a lot of times. They just feel that, like they've never felt it before in some cases. So that's, that's our heart. That's, that's where we are 18 years into this. Michael, you know, there is a
1: significant amount of despair and hopelessness uh, right now because of COVID-19. Yes. What, what, are what are y'all, what are your organization doing uh, in, in ministering to people? And as a matter of fact, bringing hope to them, I guess I could say that way.
0: Yeah, because of COVID-19, we've had to alter how we do things. And so we, we still deliver furniture and appliances. Our construction team still works. Uh, we, uh, we, we're still meeting needs, but we're doing it in the context. And, and whether we think they're right or wrong, uh, we feel that we need to abide by the restrictions, the regulations, the orders that are in, in effect at the time so our people wear masks uh they do not go into homes right now uh when we deliver furniture and appliances we'll take it up to the front porch uh but there needs to the, the people who are being served need to find a way with friends or family to to get it from the front porch into their house where we would normally take it in now it's too risky because we don't we don't want our volunteers being exposed and we don't want the people who uh, are in the home, either exposing or being exposed. So uh, that, that's been a, a little bit, of that that's ratcheted down a little bit our pace, uh, but we're still doing it. And uh, I think the fact that we're still out there, and we didn't miss a beat, we kept going. Uh, I think that gives people uh, an appreciation for the fact that, you know what, God's still at work, and he's still concerned about my needs, and, and wow, these, these people cared enough to come out in the middle of the crisis right what are the significant things that you've come to learn over these years
1: in this in this journey
0: yeah l- let me hit just uh, a couple of bullet points one i think we've already talked about already mm-hmm. and that is our motivation for serving people and who are hurting know why we're coming they can sense it when we get there and so before we serve someone i believe we need to have a reality check with god why am i doing this Am I doing it because it makes me feel good, or am I doing it because uh, this person's in need and and I need to sacrifice something to meet their need? And, Michael, I think when we serve someone, if there's not some element of sacrifice in it, uh, there's something missing. Um, God sacrificed His Son for us uh, to to serve us, so to speak. And so, I, I think there's always an element of sacrifice. So, one is we, we need to be clear about our motives before we go out and and, and serve people. Uh, the other is, and I guess this is more of an administrative thing, as as a president, CEO, and and founder of of this nonprofit ministry. I have learned not to suffer foolishness. And, and that may sound harsh, but there's a, there's a tall, lanky Texan with a pointy-toed cowboy boot that taught me that lesson uh, many years ago that don't allow foolishness to interfere with what God has asked you to do. And sometimes that foolishness comes from well-meaning people, good people, uh but their intentions are not where god has you going and so the point is to understand and that can only come through prayer and and talking to other people that you trust and that you are safe with uh, to affirm this is what god wants you to do and i have learned not to be a people pleaser and to deviate from that uh, to please other people i think there's a fine line between accountability and going off course from where God wants you to go uh, so it's a matter of choosing your advisors well choosing your board well you don't want yes people on the board you want people though that can um, push back in, in, in a in, in a collegial way and say Mike let's let's take a look at this from another angle uh, let, let's look at this way of, of doing it and that way it's it's productive rather than, trying to uh, take a boat that's on course and veer it off course and and into a gale somewhere, if that that makes any sense. So I've learned a lot of things about leadership in terms of being true to what God has asked you to do with the input from a multiple uh, source of counselors or uh, or people of wisdom, uh, who you trust and, and that you're safe with. So I think administratively, that is one of the, the big things I've I've learned. No, I am learning to say no. <laughs> and that's very difficult, uh, Michael, because y- you want to try to help everyone. And the f- the fact is, you can't, and that God has a whole bunch of people out there who can. And so you don't have to do everything. So I've learned to discern what i.e. what God wants me to do versus what other people are pressuring me to do and, and know the difference uh so that i i'm I'm learning that and, and I think the other uh the other thing is foundational, Michael, and that is uh as as we close here that is the the scripture passage that caused me to leave uh the security of a mega church and go out on our own with absolutely no financing whatsoever. And that was Matthew 22, 37 through 40, where uh, a learned lawyer uh, asked Jesus, well, what's the greatest commandment? And paraphrasing, he says, well, love the Lord your God with everything that you have and love your neighbor as yourself. These are the two greatest commandments. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So to me, I don't know that in the Western church we do that. We love God with everything we have pretty well but it's the loving your neighbor as yourself within the context of being in the community, meeting people at their point of need, where they are, as they are. I'm not sure we do that well, which only means we still have a lot of work to do to uh, to motivate people and provide a, uh, an opportunity for them to grow in that area.
1: What, one last question, Michael if someone in our listening audience wants to donate or volunteer, how do they go about doing that?
0: You know, the best way is to go to our website, really, because it will give you a great idea of of the complexity. Advancing Vibrant Communities is kind of like, Michael, you remember the the story or the poem? I think it originated in India as a a story there. And then a... um, a poet here, uh, uh, I don't know if he was in America, but he was English speaking anyway, he, he wrote this poem about the blind man and the elephant, the blind men and the elephant. And ABC is a lot like the blind men and the elephant. You know, the, the six, six men, and they're debating about blind men, debating about what an elephant looks like. And so the first one goes up to an elephant, and, and he, uh, he touches the side of it, and he says, well, an elephant's like a wall. And then the next guy uh, touches the tusk, and he says, no, 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 the elephant's like a spear. And the third guy uh, touches the trunk, and it's squirming, and he says, no, elephant's like a snake. And the fourth guy takes hold of the knee of, of the elephant, says, no, 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 An elephant is like a tree, like a tree trunk. And then the next guy, uh, he, uh, he goes and he touches the ear. He says, no, 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 no. It's like a, a fan that you fan yourself with. And the final guy touches the tail. He says, no, no, an no. elephant's like a rope. So each one was correct and yet incorrect because they only experienced one facet. Advancing Vibrant Communities is a lot like that. People tend to see the facet that they were served in or the facet that they volunteer in. They don't always see the big picture. So I encourage people to go to the website because it's a great way to see the whole, uh, the whole picture. It's vibrantcommunities.org, vibrantcommunities.org. And you can also donate there, which we very much appreciate. And then you're welcome to call our office number. And this is where you're going to reach one of two incredibly gifted women. Brenda Lapomi is our Director of Operations and our Office Manager. And then Janetta Ferguson is our Service Coordinator. And they run the details of the ministry on a day-by-day basis. And I know you'll enjoy speaking with them. Our office number for Advancing Vibrant Communities is 209-544-9571. That's two zero nine five four four nine five seven one. Michael, thank you for letting us turn the tables on you here at, <laughs>
1: uh, this time, and uh, thank you for being the
0: blessing that you've been to us through this ministry of ABC. Well, Michael, thank you for investing so heavily over the years in my life. Thank you for your wise counsel. And thank you for being a pastor to us pastors in this area. Well, friends, thank you for joining us this evening for an unusual interview. We thank you so much for being part of it. On behalf of Dr. Michael Wright, I am the other Michael Douglas. Again, thanks for joining us this evening, and may God bless you all.